welcome to Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ news and public affairs show featuring music, events, and interviews, both local and global. From the WFHB studios in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Blooming Out. Blooming out on WFHB. I'm Ryan Shaddy. And I'm Grace Thumser. It is great to be back on the air and speaking with our guests today. Later in the show, we'll have your LGBTQ plus music and event calendar, as well as the chance to speak to a representative from Spencer Pride. But first, I'd like to welcome authors of Busted in Bloomington, Greg and Candy Dawson. Thank you both for joining us this evening. Hi, thank you, Grace. You all uh, are here for a book signing, I hear. Uh, great, 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 great to have you here uh, with us talking to us today. And uh, we're excited to find out a little bit more about this book that you uh, will be at Barnes & Noble, correct, uh, tomorrow? Tomorrow from 4 oh, to 7. Awesome. Mm-hmm. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a few moments. But uh, get us started a little bit. Um, Greg, you grew up here in Bloomington, but you, you all now live in Florida, correct? Correct. Yep. So, uh, Greg, you, you grew up here. What was it like when you grew up here? Well, Ryan, uh, first of all, thanks so much for having us <laughs> on the show. It's, uh, um, it's a terrific to be back home <laughs> and, to be on the, and to be on the show. Um, yes, I grew up, uh, I grew up here. Uh, my, both my parents were on the music faculty, and uh, uh, I was uh, graduated from high school in 1968, so my formative and my wonder years were spent, you know, in the, in the 50s and the, in the early 60s, and I was one of the Crest kids, one of the kids uh, who's used locally to test out Crest that was developed <laughs> here, as you probably know. And uh, it was really kind of an idyllic uh, uh, childhood. Except and, you got um, the cavities. Yes, I got <laughs> They gave me the placebo paste, so I got all the cavities, which proved that the good stuff worked. But, uh, but anyway, it was uh, a very much a sort of a, 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 a idyllic, uh, innocent childhood. And uh, when I grew, when I, uh, graduated from high school in 68, up until that time, um, Bloomington, uh, thinking about your show, and, do, and in many of the interviews that we did with my, my classmates and others, it was amazing that in Bloomington at the time, even the, even the savvy, smart kids, the, the kids who were, whose parents were uh, university, you know, uh, university uh, uh, professors and so on, even they tell me that they had no clue about about any gay life whatsoever in Bloomington. The whole notion of, of, of there being uh, gay people in Bloomington or around them at all was as if they were, it was like an alien, like mm-hmm. an alien thing to them. They, they couldn't imagine it even, it even existed. And I know that's true for me. Back then, there were no such thing as gays. There were only occasionally, if you were in the, in the locker room, where you occasionally hear somebody talk about fags and queers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But the whole notion that there was a whole culture, people around them who were gay, was just simply unfathomable. And uh, that's why, in the course of doing this research, it was so interesting to learn from people who are now my age, who were here at the time, including uh, some of my own classmates, that in fact there was a gay self-culture, including the central figure of this book, who was a closeted gay English teacher at Bloomington High School. And so that was one of the things, I just learned so much about my own community in the course of doing this research. Um, about that subject and, and other things as well. And um, so it, it's, uh, we started out to tell a story uh, about the 60s through the, story, uh, through the experience of this teacher, and we did that, but in the course of 
uh, of doing it, learned lots of things we did not anticipate. Um, so I think this is a, it's a very personal story about, about this teacher and uh, his students, um, but it goes beyond that to tell a whole lot about Bloomington that I think is, that, that is kind of new. Greg, you've uh, written a couple of books, um, but this is a, a book about your hometown. It's it's a pretty it's going to be pretty pretty wild here. Uh, purchasing that book, I think, because there there aren't very many books that are written real life accounts about what goes on or what went on in Bloomington. Um, how has how has your story been perceived thus far? Well, it only came out about a month ago. And I can tell you that so far, um, we've heard from a number of, uh, I don't know how many people we've heard from, maybe upwards of 20 people, and many of them are uh, our classmates who are aware that the book was being written, and we're waiting for it to come out. And they've, uh, they've and, read it. We've had and a, a few who, and, who were interviewed as and well. And a few who were interviewed, yeah. yes. And we've had a really good response from them, and, uh, and some um, a response from, we've had no bad reaction yet, but the book <laughs> is not been read very widely yet. There's right. bound to be some people in the community who won't be happy about it for one reason or another. Um, so, so far, so good, but, you know, I've been through this before, and as a journalist for 50 years, who wrote, was a columnist, I, you know, you never write anything. There's always somebody, who, somebody who's not going to like what mm-hmm. something you write. But, uh, but so far, it's been very positive, and we're just pleased that people have been able to stick with it and haven't put, haven't, haven't put it down after 15 pages and thinking, oh, it's not interesting. So I'm just that happy that people are reading it and finishing it. So, yeah. uh, What made you start writing this book? What, what was the impetus for it? Candy, why don't you talk about that? Some. Well, it, it really had to do with Greg had written two books about the Holocaust, and that was a real step outside his comfort zone because most of his career of about 50 years in journalism was as a humor writer. But his mother is a Holocaust survivor, and we spent time in Ukraine and Israel doing research on that book. And then when we decided that, okay, we're retiring now, let's write a book together, I said, okay, we don't want to go to Ukraine, and we don't want to go to Israel. Where would be a fun place to find a topic? (laughs) So Bloomington certainly came to mind. And so we came here with the thought of of writing about the 60s, for sure, and how a community like this, uh, a university town but a small town, would be like a microcosm of, of what it was like in the 60s for the average person. And then we started looking through the archives of the HT, and we saw more and more about this story. And Greg had had thought about, as he said, the Crest story and some other things. And when we saw the story of, of these three people, one was a 15-year-old student of the, of the gay teacher, and another was a 45-year-old French woman who is the wife of an existential poet at IU, and how the three of them came together and ended up busted in Bloomington. And <laughs> the second part of the title is A Tragedy in the Summer of 68. And not to give away the ending, you do have to read the book to find that out, but there was a, a tragedy, and it, it stemmed from the things that this teacher had done, stepped outside the boundaries. I'm a former teacher, and my heart went out to the 15-year-old student who, first of all, his name was in the paper, and it should not have been. 
But immediately when we looked through the archives, we knew his name. We knew that he still lived here. And we thought, how on earth would he react to somebody coming into his life again and bringing all of this up after all these years? And um, I took a deep breath. He was one of the ones that I really wanted to talk to first. And he was very open, and it became a catharsis for him, really. And as, as a matter of fact, we're having dinner with him tonight and signing a book for him. Awesome. Very nice. And uh, so over this process, you said you've interviewed 120 people for this book. Uh, tell us a little bit about that process. That was really fascinating. That um, Some people, when they retire, they get in an RV and travel around to campsites. Well, we didn't have an RV, <laughs> thank goodness. But we traveled around the country to find the most important people to the story because we really, some people, when we finally found them, that's another story in itself. Not only did some women have changed their, their last name, we found one of the main characters who changed her first name. And the ways that we connected with people and found them, and thank goodness for the internet um, we wanted to interview people in person and so we really traveled all around and that that was really intriguing and and um, then there were other people that we interviewed here we have friends that we just visited and uh, they had been uh, so kind as to let us use their home for a month at a time during three summers so that we could stay here and interview people and uh, we, it was a b broad spectrum, people of all ages and backgrounds, and uh, it, was, it was a really fascinating endeavor. It was. Endeavor. It, it, included, it included lots of people with IU connections and as well. And w the remarkable thing is out of 120 interviews, only, only three individuals asked uh, for anonymity, which was amazing to us because... The things that people said, they were very, very honest, and uh, in some cases graphic, and and they spoke so honestly about these things. I was surprised. I'm not sure I would have been that. I might have said the thing, but I might have asked, you know. But um, but only three people asked for anonymity, and I think they're looking back, you know, 50 years. I think there's it's probably a healthy thing that they we all have perspective on that now, and they don't see it as a point of shame. You know, it's just what they went through. And so they, um, they, were, they were happy to, to testify to that so that, so that people they can understand where, where we were and where we are now, you know, with Mark Cruzan, you know, who was uh, finished up, as you know, his history and how he finished up with, the, with the, conducting the gay weddings at the, at the Busker Chumley and all that, and the city's totally transformed. And, so, and the marijuana um, laws, yeah. of course. <laughs> but, uh, but when these people talk about what it was like to to, to be gay in the '60s, it, it's it's such a contrast. And Candy, you wanted to read. Did you want to read something from the very beginning about the? Oh, maybe. Uh, and and plus, uh, I just wanted to to comment on the cover. We we had all sorts of ideas for the cover, but we came up with this, and it's a, a tie-dyed version of of the rainbow. And so we feel that we've got the gay uh, pride rainbow and the tie-dye of the 60s. And it was a very different time than, and, and this is in the introduction. This teacher loved music, and my gosh, I know every generation says this, but you have to admit, <laughs> Our generation and the music was pretty darn good. And so he would teach 
poetry and and all sorts of things that his students would learn just by listening to the music, like of Simon and Garfunkel. And the very first day of class, they came in, and here was this new teacher. Most of the teachers, this was Bloomington High um, South, and most of the teachers were older, and, you know, it was a typical whatever. And they came in, and here's this new young guy, 22 years old, and, and he just puts a record on and drops the needle down, and it's Simon and Garfunkel's Sound of Silence. And then he let it finish, and then there was a long sound of silence, and his simple, he simply said, okay, your assignment is to listen again to the lyrics, reflect on the lyrics, write your thoughts, and share. And so that's how he taught. And um, here it says um, in the introduction, it was, as Simon and Garfunkel sang without irony, a time of innocence, an innocence so pure, an afterglow of the American post-war reverie as to be untranslatable to later generations growing up too fast and in more brutish times. And wow. so the book is to give everybody, including our kids, who they've heard about the 60s, they've seen the, the, you know, the stereotypical things. If somebody reads this whose parents or grandparents are from that era, I think they'll get a much better feel of, of what it was really like and how time transformed between that summer of love in 67 to what I call the summer of hate. 1968 mm -hmm. was a brutish time in itself with the assassination of Bobby Kennedy, Martin Luther King, the Chicago Convention riots, the Vietnam War. I mean, and the people who are watching the Vietnam War documentary and reading this book have told us how in sync all of that is, particularly if they lived through it. The part about about Chuck, mm -hmm. the, the, about his the way he, the comment about Al King about about Loneliness. him in the introduction, the yeah. the the again this teacher who was a brilliant teacher and a very kind of brilliant personality. Um, um, that was the that was the persona that he presented to his students and to and to his friends, but uh, there was a, a gay student uh, in school who, because he was gay, because he was also closeted, understood Chuck better than 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 he could see through it, and he had a really he had a wonderful uh, candy. Do you want Page to read four. it? Yeah, why don't you read it? This is a is a gay student who okay. knew Chuck, and he said, "Al King understood better than most." Gay and deeply closeted like his teacher, Al saw through the ebullient classroom persona. Chuck, quote, was one of the loneliest people I had ever seen in my life. It just emanated from him how lonely he was. It was the piercing loneliness of being a gay man and a school teacher in Indiana in the 1960s when there were no gays, just fags and queers that led Chuck to flout the taboo against fraternizing with students. He compounded the trespass by smoking dope with them, behavior so reckless it suggested an unconscious wish to be caught. Wow. Wow. We're going to take our first break here uh, of, of the show for today. Uh, Grace, do you want to lead us into our first music break really quick, and then we will return with Greg and, and Candy Dawson, uh, the authors of Busted in Bloomington, here in just a few moments.
Myra is a West Coast-turned-East Coast indie singer-songwriter who has crafted a number of solo works and collabs. Her most recent EP, Sundial, is out today and can also be streamed on SoundCloud. She, sa- she says copies of Sundial have been in her basement since June, and it's the first time in her music career that she's felt organized, quote, as a self-managed band. She, ma- she explains, quote, all these years, I've never successfully done the thing where I'm already working on my next album before the current album comes out. With the title track off her latest EP, here is Myra with Sundial. We look to the strongest light in the sky We've been living here since the dawn of time We don't count the days we've got the sun inside And we've been watching you this whole while You just heard Sundial by Myra here on Blooming Out at WFHB. We're talking with Greg and Candy Dawson, authors of Busted in Bloomington. Now, Candy, we left off. Uh, you started to mention the drug subculture, which was intertwined with this homosexual subculture that uh, is being described in the 60s in your book. Right. The, um, the beginning of the book um, is about a trip to England. 
Chuck came into Bloomington High South where I don't know that they had ever taken many trips of any sort, and his big idea was let's go to England for six weeks of study at Oxford. <laughs> so there were um, 20 students who went, and the requirement was um, a B average and, what, $750 mm-hmm. for the entire time. And this was turned out to be the summer of love. You know, mm-hmm. It just started out here in the heartland as the girls described how they got on the plane dressed in their little their little um, pleated skirts and their Mary Jane collars and and they have and their parents were thinking oh my gosh look what's happening in San Francisco Haight Ashbury and all this stuff thank goodness our kids are going to <laughs> England <laughs> well in London before they went to Oxford and and then they also went to Paris afterwards they started experimenting like, like anybody would do a young person away from home for the first time and they started um well greg tell them a little bit about the the trial they saw at the beginning and what that was about and how they kind of got into uh, smoking marijuana for the first time well the uh, the interesting thing and amazing kind of ironic uh, uh coincidence was that one thing that chuck did with several of his students one day they played hooky and they had cut their classes at oxford and they went into london uh, to go to a to a trial a hearing of Mick Jagger and um, and um, Keith Richards. Keith, thank you, Keith mm-hmm. Richards, who had been busted for drugs, and so they. See, I told you we worked uh, well together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they had been convicted of drug possession, and this was a hearing, an appeal. So they this they they went in. They were lucky enough to get seats in the peanut gallery to watch this appeal before these hype tribunal, and um, uh, and they went in and they watched this and they saw Mick and they saw Keith Richards. And they, uh, the judges made their decision, and then the uh, the high judge lectured, lectured uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Mick on the fact that he was a role model. He said, whether you like it or not, you're a role model, and if you engage in these activities, you know you have to expect that you're going to be, and you're you're going to be you're going to be punished uh, commensurately, you know, and which is really eerie because Chuck was sitting there. And he was kind of seeing this is what was going to be happening to him, mm-hmm. you know, uh, about a year from that. Little did he, little did he know. But that was a very transformative trip for those students. One, one of the students on that trip, the BHS student, uh, they all came back with things, souvenirs. One of the kids on the trip came back with a vial of, of clinical grade LSD. And it was, uh, of course, different kind of security then. In 1967, on the airlines, and that was some of the first clinical grade acid that, that came to Bloomington, and he used it to turn along a lot of people in Bloomington for the first time to, to acid in summer '67. Things changed in Bloomington and around the country that summer. Uh, it was like there's a wave across the country. People just started that age started doing drugs. It was almost like there was a silent dog whistle or something, and everybody started doing drugs in Bloomington. Mm-hmm. It was transformative mm-hmm. that summer. And, um, um, and the things I, we found out yeah. about the drug trade in Bloomington really surprised us. It did. Bloomington was a major uh, collection and distribution point for, for drugs in, 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 at that time in the, in the late 60s. Uh, Referred to as the Berkeley of the Midwest. Yes it, was, yes, it was called the Berkeley of the Midwest for its political activity and its drug activity. You see, the boats would unload weed in, from, Colum- from Columbia 
hmm. in New Orleans, and it would go up the interstate to Chicago, and Wilmington was right on the way. And there were th hundreds of low-level dealers all around Bloomington. In some places, th there were some big dealers where they had these bales of weed stacked to the ceiling in warehouses. And it was a, it was a major, it was a major um, uh, distribution point. And we have a lot of uh, testi uh, testimony about that in the book as and well. And the FBI and was here. FBI and and the, first, <laughs> and the first case of somebody being busted was um, Nancy Dillon. That was Dillinger. 1963. There was a case in 63 where it got a lot of headlines across the Midwest, and that was the first bust that really foresaw the, the crackdown on weed that came later in, that came later, uh, later in the 60s. So lots of things were happening, and uh, uh, drugs, and a remarkable, a remarkable thing we learned from a graduate student who did a, uh, going through the gay issue now, about what was happening in Bloomington, is that, uh, that, that after Stonewall in 69, um, gay liberation uh, front organizations started popping up across the country. And in 19, I think it was in 69 or 70, shortly after Stonewall, Bloomington had the second largest GLF uh, uh, group in the country. Uh, number one was San Francisco, and then number mm -hmm. two was Bloomington, then New York. Mm -hmm. So this was, Bloomington was a major, it was in the vanguard of gay, uh, of gay liberation and gay activism in, in, um, at that time, which is, again, something I wasn't, was, not, was not aware of. And um, so all of these things were coming together. And, uh, what was the culture like in Bloomington at the time that maybe um, nurtured uh, this atmosphere? I think it was something that um, Bloomington is a unique place, but those forces I think were 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 seen unfolding in really university communities across the country, whether it was Bloomington, Madison, Durham, Berkeley, any place where there was a uh, where there places where there were university communities with. Uh, Young people who were, who were, who were seeking. You know, they were protesting. There was a lot of protesting of the war going on, but at the same time, there was cultural change that was happening acro again across the country. Um, it, uh, an evolution, a revolution from the '50s into the '60s. A lot of it had to do with the music. A lot of it had to do with sexuality and the pill and how sexual mores were changing. And it was all coming together at the same time. There was this rising tide of cultural of churn and transformation, especially in university communities. And Bloomington was one of those places. And again, because of its location in terms of drugs, it happened to be ideally situated for lots of that activity and, um, and, all, the, and all the other elements I mentioned. So it was, it, I think it was a national wave, and Bloomington was a place that was, was, was uh, uh, particularly well suited to it because of, uh, because of for, for a lot of the reasons. Mentioned. Um. One, uh, one thing that we talked about before we got started, uh, tell us a little bit about what was on the, the, the front door of Nick's at the time. Well, it, it actually, we finally mentioned it because this is more of our collaboration. I said, Greg, we just can't leave this out. And he, he's such a journalist. He said, but it didn't happen if in the time frame of, of this book, 66 through 68. It happened, I think, in 71. And I said, I don't care. <laughs> we found this. It's fascinating. And 
Nick's had um, a sign, and we saw a picture of it. I'm not sure I've got it exactly right. I don't know whether it said, this is not a bar, or it just said, this is not a fruit stand. And it applied to anybody who might have been frequenting there that they didn't want to be there. And Nick's has been around a long time, has seen a lot of changes, and now I understand they have the gay pride flag Yes, there. they, they do have great. a pride flag that flies outside. That's fantastic. And things change. And the, um, the, you, you, you both know where Z- Little Zagreb's is. Mm-hmm. That was the site of, of the major, uh, of the best-known gay bar in Bloomington back at that time. I mean, maybe you've heard that history about about that little Zagreb's location. It was called the... Royal Oaks? It was called the Royal Oaks. And during the day, it was kind of a straight bar, but then at night, uh, it would become a gay bar and on the weekends. And there were a lot of, uh, a lo- a lot of, uh, uh, of, the, of the men told us, told us, about, uh, told us about, that, about the Royal Oaks. And um, uh, there were other... There were other. Here's one. If I can just read a passage from a, uh, a passage from a, a gay graduate student who was also an undergrad, but he spent many years here, and he talked about the um, about the activity of the, the social activity, the 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 uh, the underground social activity. He said that, uh, well, aside from the tea rooms, you know about the tea rooms, mm-hmm. right? And that, that we learned about the network of tea rooms and the activity there. And he said, this grad student said. Uh, wealthy gays had fabulous parties, but they weren't open to the public. A lot of undergraduates were to be found at them. The only criteria were looks and wit. The prominence on campus also counted. I slept with just about everybody I wanted to, faculty, administration, politicos, townspeople, students, uh, and had large parties for visiting faculty and writers. Several lovers were fraternity presidents or big shots. Um, one was a champ jock. For a year, I slept with the vice president of the university. He was terribly afraid somebody was going to find out. Wow. And we heard, I mean, and, um, and uh, this is, uh, this, he, and I, and I write, the gay social underground was enlivened by other characters like Elvira uh, with colorful stage names like Moonflower, who was a queen from the Philippines, and Perverta Gray, both denizens of the Hideaway Cafe just off campus, uh, and Rhoda the Roach, Named for the cockroach in Archie and Me Hittable, a smart Alec cartoon character in the works in the work of a New York columnist in the early 1930s, Rhoda, the Roach favored big hats from Breakfast at Tiffany's and My Fair Lady, and false eyelashes and rouge. His iconic party moment was the night he gave birth to a rubber dolly. You know, so, uh, you know, this is what was happening. All this extremely interesting. Subcultures that, unbeknownst to almost everybody else, this is all fascinating yeah. and, and specifically fascinating stuff that I never learned about, and I've heard no, no. about a lot of this stuff, uh, but none of this no, has like ever <laughs> ever been written down, report, written <laughs> down and reported. So and this is amazing. It is, and it, well, it, it can might I read sound one? that way. Can I, I, I just want yeah, yeah. you can, but get, I just want to uh, say can one. Can you have time? Any short? Yep. Okay. Hold on, just okay. one minute. We got to get to our top of the hour, and then yep. we can get back to this. Okay. Okay. This is listener-supported WFHB, Bloomington, Bedford, Ellettsville, and Nashville, community radio for south-central Indiana, and online at wfhb.org. Right now, it's 74 degrees Fahrenheit in Bloomington. It's overcast outside. Tonight, the low will get down to 63. 
Tomorrow on Friday, it's going to be cloudy with a high of 80, and on Friday night, the low will get to 64. This weekend, there's a 40% chance of rain on both Saturday and Sunday, with highs in the low 80s. Now back to Blooming Out here on WFHB. We are returning with Greg and Candy Dawson, the authors of Busted in Bloomington. Um, wow, just wow. All this information <laughs> that you are, are talking about. You said you had a passage that you wanted to read really well, quick. Well, mine, it's not, it's not, it's from the book, but I don't know where it is right now. But just in contrast to what, what Greg was just telling about, about some of these um, parties and, and things like that, um, it was still very much underground. And we heard about um, a, a professor who would um, be coming downtown late at night looking around for for companionship and he had a a wonderful ruse he always carried an envelope a stamped envelope uh, that he had in hand in case someone uh, came up to him like a police officer and mm-hmm. said, uh, sir, what are you doing down here around this area late at night? Oh, I'm just out to mail a letter. That's <laughs> going to the Good. post office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. got to make something. <laughs> that was pretty brilliant. Yeah. Oh, he was a professor. So, um, <laughs> And that that is another thing, too, thinking about um, the three people that are at the center of our story. As I said, one was a 22-year-old teacher, the 15-year-old student, and the other was a 45-year-old woman uh, faculty wife who also taught uh, French at, at uh, adjunct. And... Uh, growing up in the 60s on my little Amelia Island in Florida, mm-hmm. and then as the 60s went on when I was in college, I never in a million years thought about anybody my parents' age smoking marijuana. I mean, right. it just right. <laughs> it never entered my mind that they would have. And here there we found and interviewed a lot of people that were in this woman's circle, and of course they did. Right. They they were they were liberal. They were educated. They were curious, mm-hmm. and so that that surprised me as well. But that's why the book um, is really a, a microcosm because it does have people from varying backgrounds and ages, and it, 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 we learned a lot. Yeah, it's very eye opening. It has been <laughs> very much so. Uh, and I did. I was wondering, because it is a very queer-centric book, is it your first work on a, on queer topic? Well, it didn't, st- it was not, we didn't set out to write a queer-centric book, um, but we, we, it ended up having um, a substantial amount of, of information and uh, content on that subject, because that's who Chuck was. Right. I mean, he was gay. And so when uh, Claus, and so uh, in the course of trying to figure out, portray what life was like for him, we encountered all this very interesting information, which, which uh, all related to him, but also said a lot about, about, uh, about Bloomington. And uh, if I may, uh, one, the, the, one of the subjects I know that I know is discussed a lot is, uh, is the, the subject of the, this whole business of the sexual continuum, you know. Some people want to say it's, it's either absolutely straight, absolutely gay, 
whereas most people I tend to, you know, I, I tend to agree there's a, there's a continuum, right? Mm -hmm. And one, a classmate uh, at BHS who was gay in the closet told, uh, said, described to us the liaisons he had with, with, with guys at school who were seemingly straight. Many of them were athletes. And he said, is there something? <laughs> there we go. Like this. Here. I'm putting the glasses on. He said, uh, he said I had this is, the, this is this gay guy who was speaking. He said, I had lots of comfortable uh, liaisons with my straight friends who were athletes. And they were very happy to have those liaisons. There were a lot of straight guys who at that age didn't know how to have sex. I was a safe place to have sex. And the next day we would act like it, act like it never happened. It really was the love that dared not speak its name. Uh, there was no talking about it. That's why we would have these wonderful nights, then get up, and everything was Aunt Jemima pancakes and bacon. It was the two worlds everybody had to live in. So to me, as someone in school, I mean, this was just, uh, uh, this, again, this is something that was even, do I, do, need to, do I need to wear these? Okay. Something beyond my ken, you know. Uh, uh, another world existed of which I had no idea, so... I had to get you both headphones because uh, for the first time in my tenure as producer, we have a phone call. Oh, so great. Okay. I want to go ahead and take this phone call. Yeah. Um, let's see if the production room is ready for this. Okay, who do we have online here today? Uh, my name's Eric Hole. Uh, I'm a resident of Bloomington for uh, countless years, <laughs> going back to the early 60s. Uh, and I just was wanted to recollect uh, for you my memory of uh, an event that you were talking about earlier, namely the uh, sign at, at that appeared at Nick's. Oh yes. And this was, I'm, as I recall, uh, in the about 19, in the early sixties, maybe sixty-two or three. Uh, at a time that was well before there was a gay liberation movement in Bloomington. Uh, but when IU was a much more, uh, I, would, I would say it was a powerhouse in the humanities and literature, uh, comparative literature, uh, uh, and, and so forth. And uh, a lot of the social life of graduate students, especially with, with at Nick's. So I remember walking down there one night, and, and there was a crowd uh, spilling, you know, quite maybe 50 people or so uh, around the door of Nick's, and they were talking about this sign, and a lot of them were arguing that people, that we shouldn't go in until they took it down. And it, I mean, it was. It, it occurred to me that people who who were going to go in anyway had to go past uh, some people who <laughs> really tried to convince them that they shouldn't do that. And was that uh, successful? Uh, and, but the sign said, "This is a bar, not a fruit stand." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was that stood out because we repeated it. So many times, it's mm. kind of etched in my brain. Right. You're, did did people keep them um, from going in? Was there a, kind of a rallying around on that or not? Uh, yeah, I, w I would say that. I mean, they there wasn't. Uh, 
they were sort of anarchists, and it was nonviolent uh, direct action. Right. Uh, and uh, if, if people insisted, of course, then they didn't Eric, for anything. <laughs> Eric, we really appreciate you calling That's in and giving your... It was a kind of un, uneducated, uncivilized... Uh, yeah, we really thing. appreciate you calling in and giving your antidote uh, to to how uh, Nix was recalled to residence of, of that time period. Uh, thank you for calling in again. Yes, you're welcome. Have a good night. Would you like to hear the passage about Nix? Absolutely. Okay. Here's the passage uh, from Nix, and I'm going to properly uh, expurgate it. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. I could One, this time. Okay. This is the um, it relates directly to what the gentleman just uh, was telling us about. And this is, again, this is related by a, a gay man who was a, a student at IU at the time. And he said, uh, quote, despite the fact hippies were all over the place and everybody smoked dope and the general admonition was to put it where it feels good, it was still very macho. Men were, men were very resentful of gay men just for identifying themselves as gay. If they sat at the bar at Nick's English Hut to cruise, bartenders would notice it and they didn't like it. It offended them on a moral basis. It said, and back then, and back then, um, and then he says in 1971, Nick's posted a sign stating this is not a fruit stand. Uh, and back then, it was like spitting on black people, except he didn't say black people. Back then, it was spitting like it was like spitting on black people. It may not have been a very nice thing to do, but no one is going to call you on it because everyone understands that. Well, naturally, you just spit on black people and you spit on gay people. Wow. wow. We've heard a lot of wows <laughs> from yeah. from not only you but but other people that um, have been reading this, particularly those you know. W- we've heard from people around the country, friends of ours, but people who live here, and. Um, it's you know when you said uh, queer centric, it's the book is is really not centric on on anything in particular. It's you you can read into it a lot of uh, the information that we found about drug trade, about the um, homosexual community, and about the '60s. And it really and also we dedicated the book to all the English teachers <laughs> because we all have. Don't you have somebody? It was probably an English teacher and your background that was the one that yeah. that turned that spark on and and um, so it it's <laughs> it's it's been really illuminating for for us in, in many ways Greg and candy we, we could use the entire hour <laughs> plus another to keep conversating about this book but I have a feeling that uh, we just set you up for another show even if it's a uh, via via a phone call because there, there is a lot to talk Probably. about. Um, tell us a little bit more. What, what are you two in town for right now? Well, we uh, this is the book launch, mm-hmm. and um, Hurricane Irma kept us from getting our little first shipment of books. And so we actually had to order these two books that you see here from Amazon. <laughs> Because we Your had own books. our own books, full <laughs> price. Because we had friends around the country that were on Facebook saying, "Look, I've got it," and we're, we didn't have it. But uh, anyway, we so this is very new to us. We uh, 
just signed a book to um, Greg's mentor and his writing life, um, Bob Hamill from the HT, HT yeah. and he's the one that got Greg started. And uh, so that was the first book we've signed, and we look forward to signing a lot more and meeting a lot of old friends and new friends at uh, Barnes & Noble tomorrow from 4 to 7. And I know the, the show doesn't go, your show doesn't go to Indianapolis, uh, I guess, but but on, on Saturday we'll be, um, we'll be in Indianapolis. We have a book signing at the Indy Reads uh, uh, Independent Bookstore up there. Also going to be on a show, radio show, called Hoosier History Live, which is kind of like yours, a local, mm -hmm. it's local up there. And, um, and we have been trying to make as many contacts as we can with the, with the, uh, with the queer community up there to alert them to the fact we're going to be there mm -hmm. and they might yeah, find um, so and we um, discovered that there are quite a few uh, queer book clubs and they, they you know it it really is something that we're looking forward to sharing like you said there are things that that have been new to you and uh, that generational span and things are so much better oh mm -hmm. my gosh thank goodness they're so much better even in florida as we were flying going to the airport we passed two billboards with a marijuana leaf says it's legal <laughs> <laughs> so so many things changed from from that period and greg's 50th class reunion from bhs is next october so we'll be back we'll then be sure. back, back then, then for sure awesome. and uh We've been um, doing, you see Greg's T-shirt, the uh, Bustin' in Bloomington T-shirt, uh, True Story, new book. We, we're we shameless. We both wore these. I, I have a different one on right now because I got a little embarrassed <laughs> because we look like the Bobsy Twins. But anyway, we both had these shirts Changing on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on the plane leaving Florida and, uh, you know, arriving in Indianapolis. And it worked. A lot of people were staring at it, and um, on mine it even said, just ask, people? just ask. Yeah. So we gave them a business card. So if you see us around town, like Grace saw us walking down the sidewalk, yeah. and we also have a <laughs> magnet on our car that's <laughs> busted in Bloomington. And so anyway, you, you we hope to see you and yeah. uh, engage us in conversation. Greg and Candy Dawson, the authors of Busted in Bloomington. I cannot wait to get my hands on that book now. And and I, I had read into it just a little bit before, obviously. I mean, Greg's been in contact with us for a while. So I saw and, and I was excited about it then, but I'm even more excited about this book now. So Good. thank Thanks, you man. both. For and we were really excited to be on the show, really, really? because when we, we, we saw we wanted it, we were hoping for to get on the radio. And we, I looked and we saw uh, the station, so, which is uh, wonderful to have the station, by the way. Everybody out there, please donate. When I was growing up here, we didn't have a station like this right. in Bloomington. And, um, but anyways, looked at the, we looked at the schedule. And by the way, we interviewed uh, two women who were a couple of the uh, semi-founders of the mm -hmm. show, um, Helen, um, Harrell? Helen Harrell and, and Carol, Carol Fisher. Fisher, yes. Mm -hmm. And so they told us about the show, and so we thought, you know, maybe, maybe they'd be interested. And so we're very grateful for your interest, and this has been so much fun. Yeah, I, yeah. We agree, and thank you for being here. Thank you. Glad to have you here. We're going to get to our next music break really quick before we get to our next guest of the evening. Ben Ross Davis, the artist behind music project Night Helix, drops his new EP, Plural, in an attempt to discuss my relationships, identities, pressures, escapes, studies, travels, battles, and dancing. Of his song Steady Descending, he says, This is my attempt at a pop track about relationships. 
I was going to write how terrible this, excuse me, I was going to write this really angry track about how terrible this person was and how I felt the choices they were making were so fraudulent and wrong. But instead, this sort of respectful melancholy tune uh, came uh, came out about actually caring for them. With that track steady descending, here is Night Helix. Steady Descending. Support for WFHB and Blooming Out comes from The Back Door, downtown Bloomington's queerest bar, dance club, and venue. From live bands and DJs to drag shows and karaoke, there's something for everyone every day of the week. The Back Door is located at 207 South College Avenue in the alley behind Atlas Bar. More information can be found on their Facebook page or online at bckdoor.com. Blooming Out is also supported by the Coryland Men's Chorus, Bloomington's premier chorus for gay, bi, and trans men and their allies. More information can be found at coryland.org. Now back to Blooming Out here on WFHB. Cheryl Daniels from Spencer Pride now joins us this evening. 
And uh, Cheryl, there is a lot of great things happening in Spencer right now. You've got a new building, which we'll talk about at another show. Yes. Uh, that's, that's all great. But today we're really talking about your LGBTQ plus history month events. Yes. Our night at the Tivoli. Uh, this year will be the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, we're excited that uh, that was so much support for this. Uh, it just kind of snowballed after the theme was brought up, and the Tivoli agreed that yes, we can do that. There are a few caveats. They want us to. We will be providing the props for sale, uh, five dollars a bag. Um, not the typical props you might find at some of the other shows that you might see in Bloomington. How boring. No, I'm, I know. I'm kidding. Well, at least they're having some. Yes, that's true. And it's part of our fundraiser that night as well, uh, the $5 for the bag of props, and they're all Tivoli Theater approved. So Awesome. Um, we do, one of the mo- main things we do need to note as we encourage people to come and join us for the fun is that it is an R-rated movie. And that means there will be language and strong themes around sex and sexuality. So our attendees for the event uh, should expect that from both the film and the attendees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the costumes are strongly encouraged. Uh, we'll have a costume contest. And we encourage people to dress as wild and crazy as they'd like as long as it's within the limit of the law. <laughs> And we really want the attendees to be wild and crazy with their entire uh, thinking Halloween party. Um, Again, the props are going to be available, $5 a bag, and no external props brought in will be allowed, no exceptions. Um, It's part of the agreement with the Tivoli to uh, take this step to, you know, um, allow us to have this particular show, which is very uh, audience participation driven. Yes, it is. (laughs) Yeah. Anybody that hasn't watched it before should watch it so that they could know what some of those cues are. Cheryl, what are some other events that are have been that that you all have going on right now um, for LGBT History Month for Spencer Pride? Well, I do believe that right now we have the um, library um, poster boards that mm-hmm. are uh, prepared by our, I believe, our youth group, and we have those in. Uh, I can't remember the number of um, facilities that uh, support us and allow us to put our information there. And um, it also gives the uh, participants a chance to learn as they put the material together to put on the displays. Um, The Unity Shop, of course, is a a big part of a lot of our volunteer efforts. Um, We're now open four days a week, Mm -hmm. I believe. Um, And the number of volunteers is growing. it is not hard to find staff for it anymore. But you're always looking for volunteers for all of your events, not just during this month, but during the, the festival season. June 1st of June comes around, you're always looking for volunteers. Yes, for the Pride Festival. Yeah, how can they get how can they get in touch with Spencer Pride? How can our listeners get in touch with Spencer Pride in order to volunteer? Well, we have um, a great website um, that is pretty intuitive, and it will guide you towards volunteer opportunities. Judy Epp. Uh, is our volunteer coordinator, and she is very successful in keeping things organized and making sure that uh, everything is staffed appropriately and with enough people. Um, I'm going to be at the um, Cataract Bean Festival this weekend as a volunteer two days, and we will be there all three days of that. Um, I believe that's our first time to be there, 
we'll be doing a lot of um, resale items, not so many of the pride items uh, because it's just so hard to take things that are mm-hmm. priced like that, but just things, you know, because they have to be scanned and, and there's a lot more detail to tracking that merchandise. But things that are donated to us, older items or items of interest for resale will be what we'll be focusing on at that festival. Awesome. Before we before we let you go, are there any other key points that we need to hit on? And then also, tell us what Spencer Pride is all about again uh, to wrap that all up, okay? Well, if you don't mind, uh, well, let me go through these That's talking fine. points first. Real quick about the night at the Tivoli. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Owen Valley Winery, which is adjacent to the lobby there at the Tivoli, will, the tasting room will be open throughout the evening. And alcohol may, may be taken from there into the theater. Uh, but no outside alcohol is permitted, obviously. And the concession stand will be open throughout the show. And all those proceeds go to the Tivoli Theater. The event is admission free. So the Rocky Horror Picture free show free at the Tivoli. Uh, there will be a lot of opportunities to support Spencer Pride during that event, uh, including participating in our raffles or by purchasing those prop bags. And uh, the Unity Shop will be open its regular hours up until 7 p.m. Then the staff will want to come to the Tivoli, and they will reopen following the show um, in case any attendees were in Spencer for the first time and want to go by the shop, or if they've even been there before. Um, this is the original 1975 version of mm-hmm. the film with Tim Curry. And um, the screenings are, you know, this show is not for the lighthearted or easily offended. And people should be prepared for a loud, boundary-pushing time full of uh, like-minded people sharing a really historic movie Absolutely. that has become more and more what it uh, is today from the original version. Um I personally, if you don't mind if I talk about my personal aspects about Spencer Pride and the efforts, um, I have just came in to the group about six years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm the MC and entertainment coordinator for the Pride Festival, and I am just honored to be a part of it and see my town and the community grow and be open-minded and accepting. I had um, high school friends that struggled, and I know that it is... uh, a great step for us to take. So many wonderful people involved. I am proud to be a part of it. Cheryl Daniels, we know that you are one of the important cogs to Bloom- or to Spencer Pride and really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on and speak with us today. It's my pleasure. Always proud to be a part of Spencer Pride. Always happy to have you all here as well. Thank you again, Cheryl. To finish out tonight's show, it's time for your weekly LGBTQ plus area event calendar. The Interpride World Conference is coming to Indianapolis. The annual general meeting and world conference acts as a source of education and a stepping stone to elevating community interaction for Pride events worldwide, as well as a great networking opportunity and platform for communication among Pride organizations. Indianapolis will welcome a diverse audience from all over the world this week, October 5th through 8th. To learn more about the event or to purchase tickets, visit IndiePride.org Interpride. For more information about Interpride, visit www.interpride.org. On Sunday, October 8th at 7 p.m., join the community of Bloomington on the steps of City Hall for a candlelight vigil for the victims of the Las Vegas massacre. On Wednesday, October 11th, join IU's Grad Queers at the back door for The Queer Condition, a storytelling event for National Coming Out Day. 
The event begins at 7.30 p.m. and is open is free and open to anyone 21 years old and older. Join PRISM Youth Community for an educational night all about LGBTQ plus history to celebrate October as LGBTQ plus History Month. This event is free and open to the public. The event will be at 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday, October 16th at the UU Church in Bloomington. What a cool and want a cool and fun way to support PRISM? Join us, join them, rather, at their first ever trivia night. You can donate for a chance to play in, a, in various trivia categories, including multiple LGBTQ plus themed categories, for a chance to win ultimate bragging rights. There will be a rainbow dessert bar full of all kinds of goodies. Uh, this event is open to the public and will be held on Friday, October 10th, beginning at 7 p.m. at the UU Church in Bloomington. The AIDS Memorial Quilt will be on display for three days at the Indiana Memorial Union in Alumni Hall from 4 p.m. to 11 p.m. November 14th through 16th. This event will help commemorate the lives lost to AIDS while providing HIV-AIDS education and awareness free to the IU community and general public. While the quilt is on display, we will be providing free HIV testing and educational workshops in the evenings. Coryland Men's Chorus will kick off their 16th season with a winter concert at the Buskirk Chumley Theater on November 19th at 7 p.m. The winter concert, titled Walking Together, features Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton along with vocalist Sylvia McNair. Tickets are on sale at the Buskirk Chumley Theater ticket office. Join the Damien Center on Saturday, November 4th from 5 p.m. to 12 a.m. for their annual Grand Masquerade Venetian Ball. Celebrate the Damien Center's 30th anniversary and push extravagance to the limit. The ball will be at the Indianapolis Marriott downtown. More information can be found on Facebook and tickets can be purchased at damien.thankyouforcaring.org. An IU staff member has formed a meetup group open to Bloomington area LGBTQ plus adults of all ages. If you're in town and would like to join like-minded folks for fun social activities, learn more by visiting www.meetup.com slash Bloomington LGBTQ social meetup. And finally, HIV testing will be provided by Positive Link on the first and third Thursday of each month at the LGBTQ plus Culture Center. This free confidential 20-minute testing can be scheduled by contacting the Culture Center. If you would like to add your event to our event calendar, email us at bloomingout at wfhb.org. That is all the time we have for this evening. We would like to thank you for tuning in tonight. If you are interested in volunteering here at WFHB or for our show, contact volunteer at wfhb.org. You can also call us at 812-323-1200, tweet us at bloomingoutwfhb, visit our Blooming Out Facebook page, or find us on Instagram. The executive producer of Blooming Out is Wes Martin. The producer is Ryan Shaddy. The associate producer and music director is Grace Thumser. The news director is Olivia Davidson. Our board engineer is Jesse Grubb. Our social media coordinators are Josephine Douglas and Brett Roberts. Finally, our theme music is an original composition produced for Blooming Out by Aaron Gage. For Blooming Out and Grace Thumser, I'm Ryan Shaddy. Please tune in again next Thursday at 5.30 p.m. and visit us online at bloomingout.com. Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ plus radio program, airs every Thursday evening here on WFHB at 5.30 p.m. You can also stream us 24 hours a day, seven days a week on WFHB.org or BloomingOut.com. Thank you for listening. Please tune in again next week to Blooming Out. Blooming Out.